Welcome to Drop the Subject with Allie. And you know what? I'm going to hold off on announcing because this is... A moment. Yes, there there have been a lot of developments in in as far as the civil unrest in this country and the BS remarks that were made by the president of the United States yesterday and all the things that 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 followed. But I would like to start the show on a positive note by introducing to our listeners for the first time, ladies and gentlemen, humans, dogs, kitties. (laughs) It is right on my screen for the first time ever, Dr. James Quincy Simmons. Welcome oh to the show, my Doctor. Gosh. Ah, yay. Thank you very much. Wow. That's the first time I've heard that, Allie. Thank well, you. Well, let's let's wow. give a little context. So you've been working on this dissertation. You've been working on getting your doctorate for, for what, four years? Is that the standard still or did oh, they half man. it or Well, yeah. So I I was one of those crazy people who opted to do this uh, like accelerated sort of doctorate thing, if you will. Um, And so nursing has two different doctorates, really a PhD and then what's called a DNP, Doctorate of Nursing Practice. And one of them is more sort of focused on like research and academia and we call it bench science, right? So they're really trying to generate new knowledge. And then the other one is more, much more practice focused. So how do we take all of that knowledge from the research, apply it in the real world, evaluate it with doctorally prepared eyes, and then see if it worked or not. And then bring it back to the researchers and say, that was great. You were really close. Try again. Try some new research. Okay. So that's, that's the one that you're doing. That's the one I did. So mine is a much more practical, like application operations focused doctorate. And it's called a doctor of nursing practice. Um, so yeah, and you can do that one a little bit faster than others. So I pulled this off in two years. Damn. <laughs> Which is crazy. That is yeah, a lot of cheating. Crazy. Am I right, James? Right. <laughs> I mean, am I right? Okay. You just you just Google a bunch of stuff and then like, you know, people are like, Yeah, that sounds smart. And then they <laughs> I mean, you fool I mean, if if you were to tell me complete BS, if everything that you had just said was completely made up, I would believe you. I'm like, You're All like, right. yeah. You're that like, makes yeah, sense to me. It's great. And um yeah, well, thank you, Allie. That that uh, is a very sweet. This is I'm a little uh, sort of flabbergasted, and for once, James Q. Simmons is speechless. Well, you know, it, I I have so many questions for you because I will never be a doctor. I mean, I I don't want to, um, uh, I don't want to completely give up on myself, but I really don't have plans to <laughs> become a doctor. I have a bachelor of fine arts, and that's where it ended for me. But so go. I've never spoken to somebody who's gone from transition to being not doctor to doctor in a 24 hour period. And I wonder if it feels similar to getting married where you wake up the next day, you've sent in the marriage certificate and you go from Ms. to Mrs. And you're able to wake up and say, you're my wife, just like you say, your husband is that mm. kind of and you're like, "Ooh, it sounds so weird. Is that the kind of feeling? It's the only thing I can compare it to. It's very, very similar. Yes, very good analogy. Uh, there, there is something to it about like, oh, doctor, so and so. This is for our listeners. This, this happened yesterday. So there was this big cutoff, and and I, I got my doctorate at UCLA, and they do this whole thing where all of the doctors of nursing practice, PhDs, all across the campus have this whole thing that you have to go through and they they put you through the ringer trust me the cutoff for that was yesterday at 5 p.m and then you get this email and the email is like you did it or you didn't basically and so Man, i got they this can't email even send one of those big 
rejection letters they have to do it through email it's through email right and you you basically know by time you get to this process that you're going to do it right like i didn't have a lot of doubts it's more about at this stage it's more about did i cross all the right t's and dot all the right i's so i i did and at you're, you're supposed to find out by 5 p.m and yesterday i found out at 4 36 p.m so with 24 minutes to spare, they were like, yep, <laughs> the like, University oh, of fine. California, right? They're like, Los Angeles, you know, University of California says, all right, fine. You're Dr. James Q. Simmons. Here you go. And now, I, I I, burst into tears. Oh, but that's so, I mean, like we, we are going to cover some of the things that are going on in the world right now and in the country. And it's, it's all very heavy stuff. As you saw yesterday, we covered it very heavily and we will continue to keep you updated on all those things. But I mean, the amount of emotions, the range of emotions that you're going through uh, as, you know, being a black man in this country and these things that you've had to deal with your entire life and the range of emotions that you've experienced throughout that this process, in addition to coronavirus and being a nurse practitioner and <laughs> and having everyone and their mother ask you questions about it and be talking about it on the air at, you know, all the time and then to also on the side be working on this and putting as much effort as you possibly can into it, uh, it must feel I mean, I don't know how it feels, obviously, but to have that kind of range of emotions and then to burst into tears, that makes sense to me. Like, that seems yeah. like the proper reaction. <laughs> it, it is the proper reaction, I think. I, I And uh, my poor husband, who, I mean, f- God bless him. Christopher has been an angel and amazing through this entire process, and it, it managed to not destroy us. But there are legendary stories of people who get their doctorate and it destroys their relationships. Really? So I'm, oh, yeah, because it's that intense. And I, you either mar- you have to marry your doctorate or marry your partner for for while you're doing it. And well, so hmm. we managed to get through it. And I, I, God bless him. He, I would like just started sobbing, and he was like, "What? What happened? Another protest? Another? Is it Trump?" What happened? And I was like, no, I, I did it. And he was like, oh, God. And then he ran. He just ran out of the house. <laughs> and I was like, oh, OK, I've lost him. To go get well, alcohol, turns out, I assume. Yes. He knew that we were going into curfew last night by 5 p.m. So he <laughs> ran to the liquor store to get Smart. a very nice bottle of champagne. Smart. Yes. They closed those, too. I, you know, the first day that they did the curfew, it was like 5.59. And I was going through the line. And I was like, are you closing at 6? They were like, yup. I like scanned like the last item at, at five fifty nine. Um, yeah. Well, I actually think that this will be beneficial to your relationship because now you can do doctor patient role play in the bedroom. Oh yeah, and I I think he would kind of like that. Don't tell anybody. Okay, <laughs> we won't tell anybody. I promise. Don't tell anybody. Uh, when um, we come back. Yes, Donald Trump made some remarks. We, I know, I know, I know we were having so much fun, but we have to go through some of the things that he said because they are unbelievable. They are horribly offensive. They are incredibly racist. They are very, um, I, I mean, there are many more words that I'm out of time already. So just take, <laughs> take a moment. We're going to compose ourselves. We'll get into it when we get back. Drop the subject. The new Channel Q. All right, drop the subject with Allie and Dr. James Simmons, DNP. You're going to have to add more letters to your moniker and on your when I text you. It's like seven <laughs> lines of all of the credentials that all you have. It's great. So you're the smartest friend I have by far. Oh, thank you. It's all a lie. Uh, 
<laughs> it's, it's all lies, oh, totally fake. Right. Dr. Oz knows more. No, right. I'm just kidding. Okay, let's talk about the press conference that happened yesterday. Donald Trump addressed the nation in what you would, uh, under normal circumstances, think uh, would be a moment of, uh, of solidarity, a moment of trying to unify the American people, a moment of maybe paying tribute to George Floyd and his family, um, the people who are affected by this, and... Uh, you know, he said it could have said any number of things, right? And under normal circumstances, but we are not living under normal circumstances. Unfortunately, we're living with this guy and this <laughs> is what he had to say. Um, and of course, I don't, I've not seen many people that I know that were happy about it. Um, let's break down some of the things, because I think that at the very beginning, towards the beginning, um, I think it's very important the words that which we always keep saying words matter the words that he's using specifically matter and this word thugs constantly comes mm. up and he used it again or the woman in upstate New York viciously attacked by dangerous thugs small business owners have seen their dreams utterly destroyed a federal officer in California an African-American enforcement hero was shot and killed. So he is using words that he, he they're very calculated. He's using mm -hmm. the word thugs absolutely on purpose. Yep. 100%. He is. Yeah. He, he knows the effect of those words. And he's also mentioning businesses because, of course, the the small town mom and pop shops are looking to him for answers. And he wants to give them to him. So he's he's mentioning those specifically. And then, of course, he's got to throw in, um, you know, not all of the African-American lives that have been lost due to police brutality. But he points out specifically an African-American officer who was killed during the protests. And that's a very calculated effort as well. It is. And, and it, it, you know, it's similar. It goes along the, the line of like, oh, well, my best friend is black, so I'm not racist. Right. He, he's saying exactly. he's saying this thing to to sort of encourage that. Oh, well, it's happening to everyone. This is a whole America issue. This is just an issue of looters and rioters who are out of control. This isn't it, what it takes away from is the very core of what is going on here. And the very core of what is going on here is racism. Whether we like it or not, whether it's comfortable or not, saying things like that takes it away. And it's so striking that at the same time, he says things like the word thug, which he doesn't use for white protesters. He doesn't which use. Which he knows will incite violence. He does. He knows it will incite violence. He knows it will fire. Most importantly, he knows it will fire up his base. This, this is all. This whole thing that happened yesterday was calculated and political and yep. and grandstanding in the worst way and propaganda it was very dictator like and this is all to set him up so that he can say the right things he needs to continue to mobilize his base for November 3rd which was also a very you know even this morning it's a very popular hashtag and a very popular thing on Twitter right now and everyone's saying November 3rd and it's becoming a rallying cry unfortunately on both sides right the the yes. anti-Trump people saying like to vote you Everyone's out like November 3rd yes the last day I have in. to look at your stupid face yeah <laughs> right um, <laughs> okay let's go through some of the things that he said he was going to do these are not acts of peaceful protests these are acts of domestic terror America needs creation, not destruction. Cooperation, not contempt. Security, not anarchy. 
Healing, not hatred. Justice, not chaos. This is our mission, and we will succeed 100%. We will succeed. He should just stop there. Always wins. <laughs> just walk away. Just that, and that to say great. our country always wins. Why is it about winning? It, it's not about winning. Well, uh, it is with him. He's a businessman. He's a reality show host, right? He's a. It should be. A, he should have stopped there. However. However, he continued on. Yes, you're right, Dr. James. That is why I am taking immediate presidential action. Today, I have strongly recommended to every governor to deploy the National Guard in sufficient numbers that we dominate the streets. Mm. Mayors and governors must establish an overwhelming law enforcement presence until the violence has been quelled. If a city or state refuses to take the actions that are necessary to defend the life and property of their residents, then I will deploy the United States military and quickly solve the problem for them. Cool. So dictator much? I again, the word <laughs> dominate is very calculated, very calculated. And and listen, at, at the end of the day, you know, you're going to see a lot of a lot of things going on about constitutional law and these different acts in 1807 and 1878 and all these different things. You're going to see a lot of this stuff going around. It already is happening this morning. Fundamentally, unless he incurs this act, unless he, he resurrects this act, he cannot do this, by the way. This is illegal under the Constitution of the United States. He cannot just simply send mil federal military force onto local states. It has to be requested by governors. States are their own sort of little mini nations, if you will, and he can't just do this. He does have the power to do this if he enacts certain acts that have not been done. Essentially, the last time it was done, I think Johnson did it during Brown versus Board of Education riots in the 60s. But then before that, it was the Civil War. So he would have to right. incur that. And <laughs> and this is but the fact that he's even hinting at that right now is what's so scary. Yeah, exactly. It's I mean, he's the president of everything. He's the he's the end all be all according to him um all right when we come back we actually got a really lovely uh email from one of our listeners who um had some thoughts on on yesterday's show and had some things that he wanted to add to it so we're going to read that when we get back this is more uh, more drop the subject is coming up next drop the subject the new channel q always love hearing from you guys right here on drop the subject with Allie and dr james simmons uh very vero on twitter uh wrote a little message to us yesterday which we really appreciated at dts show i really appreciate the conversation between your ali johnson and ask the np about the protest and i'm not sick okay i actually didn't even read all this through i'm not saying this to be self-serving <laughs> ali you're a true advocate um which i just i we also have an email from a listener who has actually joined us on the show before his name's robert and we talked to him about uh, uh tacos and margaritas around cinco de mayo yeah. And he yeah, and he he's just a really great, really loyal listener and he wrote in to us uh, at following yesterday's show and so I thought we would share some of it with you and um touch on a topic that actually we're going to cover a little bit later. Uh, hi, Allie and James. I just wanted to thank you for the show today. It was just the conversation that we all needed to have in this critical moment. The spot with Errol Southers, ah, our good friend, Dr. Errol Southers, uh, discussing how to how to protest safely touched on something that we are all wondering about. Many excellent tips were made on how to start a dialogue. It's important to start searching to w towards ways to build a better future. 
A topic that deserves exploration is what happen- what happens after the civil unrest subsides. How will supporters of George Floyd channel their energies and affect positive change? May I humbly offer a topic, he's so cute, that I think would be uh, important to your audience to hear. A conversation about the importance of voting and how to get registered to vote. Now is the time, yes, to discuss how young adults and anyone else not registered to vote must register in their county or state. Voter apathy is part of the reason why we find ourselves with the government and uh, and police departments that we have. There's no political penalty uh, penalty for the oppressors there are six months until the election there is ample time to get registered a guest interview with an official from a registrar's office discussing how to overcome barriers to voting would be important and timely i mean even for individuals at first of all thank you so much for that email and for talking about that I love the forward thinking aspect of this, right? Like, and this is the thing that a lot of people talk about when the protests are done, when the, when everyone's done, you know, our, our Instagram feeds and our Twitter feeds and our Facebook feeds stop being all of this and start going back mm-hmm. to like my kitties or like, oh my God, you guys, coronavirus sucks. Like what, whatever we go back to after this, what is the, the substantive action that's going to happen out of this? And I do feel like that this is a turning point, that this is not just going to be sort of flash in the pan thing, but it's actually going to help push us towards real change. But that real change, thank you so much for this email has to be at the ballot box i keep saying this this is why i was so disheartened by oregon a couple of weeks ago voting 20 percent of individuals there voted for bernie sanders a vote for anyone but joe biden or a non-vote is a vote for donald trump it is plain and simple and you are right and i think that's something that's really important to all of our listeners particularly individuals here in southern california is that there are so many individuals who are regardless of documentation status or or whatever other individuals in their family they're scared to register to vote right because they're yeah that's a great point yeah you're in the system then right and then it's easier for you to be found and all these other things and individuals you know you have to be a citizen to vote obviously but then if you have individuals in your family who aren't then you know do you become a person there's so much social cultural things that go on with voting but it's so incredibly important for those exact individuals to be the ones that vote and for all of us frankly and because there are no consequences for so many politicians i mean he's he's perfectly right with this that now it is and it feels so like not glorious to walk in and punch the little things and then drop your ballot in it's very like anticlimactic but it needs we need to figure out a way to make it climactic so more people do it yes and you, i mean all all very well said and also you know i I will hold myself accountable in the sense that when I go to vote, when it's just city and state type things, those, and I, and I, of course I live in California, so it's like vote for the Democrat. But I think it's important that people get more involved in their local politics. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you know, rather than just like, Oh, I vote every election year. And it's like, okay, cool. But there are so many other little things that you can vote on to make a difference. And it's time to start paying attention to those things. It, it is. And the, you know, the all the way down from like the condition of your roads and your streets and sanitation, your school systems, you know, that how, how money is distributed to local businesses, how money is distributed to social welfare programs. And I know those, that's, those are icky words, but like, Like if you're upset about, let's say homelessness is obviously a really big issue here in Southern California. If you're upset about the homeless people, 
it's in your neighborhood, it's probably because they don't have resources because the local officials are the ones that are in charge of divvying up those monies. Well, if you have someone who is like, well, homelessness isn't a problem here, or let's just clean them all up and not give them any resources, you have to know that. And that is your neighbor. And so that is almost fundamentally more important than just being like, well, I like Joe Biden or I like Donald Trump, right? You have to get in and be mm-hmm. able to try to try to find a way to get involved in those local politics. And I, you know, it's like a church thing. My mom was a minister and my mom always tried to find a way, try, always tried to find a way to make church sexy because people like going to concerts. They like watching movies. They like watching porn. They don't like going to church, but if you could find a way to make church fun, people would come and do it. And I think it's the same way. I think we got to find a way to make our local judges and local like city officials like sexier. Well, drag queens. That's the simple answer. Done. Drag queens. Love it. Uh, done. Love, Love it. Uh, we will talk about the primaries. There are more today, and there's all kinds of stuff that you can vote on today. Uh, so we'll talk about that when you get back right here on Drop the Subject. Drop the Subject. The new Channel Q. Welcome back to Drop the Subject. Wanted to share with you some of the primaries that are taking place today because yes in the midst of all of this okay i don't even know if you're keeping track anymore but there's also still an election going on and there are primaries in i believe eight states including district of columbia so we've got all kinds of primaries from indiana maryland montana new mexico pennsylvania rhode island and south dakota several of those were supposed to take place earlier this year i believe maryland indiana pennsylvania and rhode island were all postponed uh, due to the pandemic but you know a lot of people are saying this is going to be a big test for how things are going to turn out uh, voter turnout in november because things are slowly you know, you know reopening for the most part and it's going to be interesting to see how many people make it out to the polls especially during this crucial year well i think honestly that's the key right every election comes down to turnout uh, sort of regardless of the side that you're on but generally speaking hist- in the most recent history Republicans fare better when turnout is lower um, because turnout generally favors uh, older individuals who tend to lean Republican, white individuals, older white individuals who tend to lean Republican, particularly in the Midwest, always vote. It's like not an issue. If you get the younger vote, which means higher turnout, you tend to get more of a Democratic representation. This is just sort of I'm just generalizing. But so what's really interesting about this then is that not only on top of COVID-19, and the, but then we have the protests going on and political unrest and curfews, by the way. So many oh, of these, yes. yeah, many of these states have major cities in them that have curfews, right? So Philadelphia, like there's major cities that are going Baltimore, like Indianapolis, all of these cities have curfews because they've had protests. So the, you're not going to be able to stay in line to vote later. Some of them converted to mail-in ballots, but not all of that has worked as well. And I, I think it's going to be really, really interesting what the actual numbers are going to be from this. And then ultimately, of course, because of that, the results. My God. And then most, uh, you know, people who still have jobs are probably afraid to leave their jobs and go vote because normally they would do it after work. But if they can't because of a curfew, they're less likely to leave their workplace to go and vote because they're, you know, holding on to that job for dear life right now. Yeah. I mean, I think this is going to be a big issue. I mean, ultimately, at this stage of the game, the presumptive 
on a presidential level, like we talked about earlier, the the on a pre- presidential level, the nominees are pretty much are set, right? It's Donald Trump, obviously, on the right on the Republican side, excuse me, and Joe Biden for the Democrats. But these down, they call it down ballots, right? So local judges, local administrators make a really big difference in your community. And I think this could be really impactful when we need local community leaders more than ever. Yes, absolutely. And it comes to, you know, determining who controls the House and the Senate, which, you know, if you've got, say, we elect Biden to be the next president, but the Senate and the House are controlled by a Republican majority, then it's becomes a lot harder to get things done. And so, um, yes. So we uh, encourage anyone who is listening in these areas to get out there and vote, even though, you know, there's a lot of things going on with curfews and coronavirus. Um, So important right now to get out there and let your voice be heard. So um, that's... That's that, man. We will see what's going on. If, if, if Biden clinches the nomination, which I know he'll be the nominee regardless, but it'll be interesting to see the turnout. And don't vote for Bernie. I want to see who's voting for Bernie this time around. If I see those damn reports. Oh, my God. And those election <laughs> results come in and you vote for that old guy, oh. which he's not there anymore. <laughs> we'll be right don't, don't, don't do it. A vote for anyone but Joe Biden is a vote for Donald Trump. Drop the subject. The new Channel Q. Moving on to a fresh new hour here on Drop the Subject with Allie Johnson and Dr. James Simmons. That's right. I'm friends with a doctor, everyone. It's all about me. (laughs) Your mother would be so proud. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to call her and tell her later today. I really am. Um, We, of course, are having some fun on the show today. Uh, It's important to take a little breather and laugh every once in a while while, of course, giving you some much-needed information about what is going on. More protests last night, uh, National Guard showing up in a lot of those situations, and we will absolutely cover that stuff. Also, something that is going on today is the Blackout Tuesday initiative, which is getting a lot of confusion online. Um, This originally, I saw this, I believe it was a billboard. uh, Yes, billboard.com made the announcement that a lot of uh, uh, record labels and music businesses were going to not conduct business and take a day. It was not a day off. It was a day to reflect and focus on ways to create meaningful action in regard to the murder of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement. I think that it's gotten a little bit muddled and it's it's reaching a point today where I think some people are misconstruing the message and and posting these these blackout images on their social media as a way to be silent and from what I understand and correct me if I'm wrong James but it seems that the silence is not necessarily what is the goal here. I think it's it's about taking that platform that is a heat music, it's a huge platform, an incredible influence on us as a culture, and then to use all of that and put it, for one day, put it towards reflection and change. Not to be silent, necessarily. Yeah. And I think it was. So listen, I think at the core, like music and the music industry is all about putting their voices out there. And so for musicians in the music industry to not use their voices is a form of protest. But that's why it was specifically for those for those individuals. Right. Everybody else keep using your voice. It was almost like we're going to back off so that other voices get amplified, whether that's on social media, whether that's through talk, whether that's on the news, whether that's obviously through protest. 
And now what's happening, unfortunately, is these these. So quite literally, those of you who know social media well, everyone who is taking a black image and posting it on social media and then using the hashtag Black Lives Matter or hashtag BLM, the only thing that's showing up on any platform is black squares. Well, the Black Lives Matter movement uses those two hashtags in particular to spread information about their peaceful protests, spread information about how people can help, spread information about where you can donate. So if you go to search, if you're following the hashtag Black Lives Matter or you search that hashtag, the only thing you're going to see on Twitter or Instagram in particular is black squares. Well, that's the complete antithesis of the whole point of this. So... Uh, you know, you can please if if you feel like this is something that you want to do to contribute uh, and to sort of be a part of making your voice heard. Great. Just use the hashtag Blackout Tuesday. And then if you have already posted with the hashtag Black Lives Matter or hashtag BLM or anything, any variation of that, you have to actually take your post down then repost without those hashtags or it will continue to show up in the algorithm and then that you know we're we're actually doing the opposite of what was intended. Right. Yeah, and I think that many activists are coming out and saying, "Hey guys, this is like don't get it twisted. This is actually still a day that we need to be active and we need to be uh, continuing the conversations, which is why you and I are here talking." Um and, and that being said, support however you feel you can best support. But Instagram itself has issued out a statement saying we are hearing asks. This is exactly what you're saying, James, from the community that posts related to Blackout Tuesday. Use the hashtag Blackout Tuesday and not Black Lives Matter. The Black Lives Matter hashtag aggregates important information and resources for the community. And it's exactly what you're saying, James. People need this information. It's literally information about where to go for protests and where to get information for. I mean, there's a lot of really critical information that's being um that's being translated right now through those outlets. So mm. don't block the outlets with black images because it's not helping anything really. Yeah, and they're, they're, it's so important at this time to like keep the information flowing, um, particularly, you know, in, in the setting of, I know, you know, we talked about Trump last hour and we weren't able to get fully to more of his shenanigans and antics with churches and Bibles and all these different things. Uh, and we're going to talk about that more a little bit later. But now is more critical than ever that social media as our primary form of communication uh, outside of our individual spheres of influence, right? There's a bunch of big talk for unless you text or call friends and family, like your close circle, our primary form of communication in the world now is social media. So this is really, really, really important. This is literally like if you go to a news channel and it's just a black screen, You're not getting this information. And so if you're going to even your local news to be like, how's the traffic? How's the weather? And they just had a black screen like you're not able to get information. So, uh, you know, we sort of implore you with this. We're we're on, you know, Entercom has decided to support Channel Q being on so that we can continue to give you information and have these conversations that we need to have. But if you're on social media and you've done that post, please take it down. Feel free to repost if you want. Just change the hashtag to Blackout Tuesday. Yes, absolutely. When we come back. Undrop the subject. We're going to talk about curfews. A lot of, I mean, I would say pretty much every major city right now has a curfew. I believe in Los Angeles, they are, 
I mean, I, I don't think they've officially made the statement, but I would assume they're going to do another curfew tonight. Um, so we're going to talk about curfews and, you know, what causes them and do they work? Because there are many people that are continuing to be out during curfew. And, and we'll talk about what kind of effect it has on the protests, uh, both positive and negative when we get back right here on Drop the Subject. Drop the subject. The new channel Q. Drop the subject of the new channel Q. That, that getting really fast, aren't I? I'm so excited. Drop the, faster, the come on, one more time. Subject, faster. right? One more time. No, there's no need to be fast. This is drop the subject on the new channel Q. My name is James Q. Simmons, guest co-hosting with your Allie Johnson. As we have established already, listen, curfews have been happening in in uh, pretty much every even minor city, like smaller city, but mid-sized major cities everywhere across the United States and in different parts of the globe, actually, as a tool by law enforcement to stem protesters, and in particular, looters and rioters, of course, uh, from being out. So we talk about curfews, um, and they, they are enforced differently in ever in different communities. But essentially, curfews mean you cannot be outside. You cannot be out of your home doing anything after a certain amount of time and for a certain amount of time. So in Los Angeles, lately, they've been 6 to 6. Um, and uh, even yesterday, I think they were 5 p.m. So 5 p.m., the curfews went in, meaning you can't even go to the grocery store. Uh, there was and- a Beverly Hills one for 1 p.m. Was it? Yes. Well, and uh, so I was going to say there's some that are like even earlier. And and what this does, like, though, take is your Xanax and go inside. And go, take, take your Xanax and go home. The the what happens is this is then gives police an opportunity to arrest you for being outside. The probable cause of you violating a crime, even though it's a misdemeanor, you're already doing it. So if there's a blanket curfew that says you're outside, you cannot be outside and you're outside, the police can then arrest you. Period, end of discussion. That's why the tool is there. And so this is used, and it's supposed to be used as a last resort in order to you know, give police an opportunity to control rioters and control looters and control protests. Um, but there's a question about whether or not, and you know, and I guess the police and local officials often, at least around here where we are, keep framing this and we're doing this to keep the people of Los Angeles County and whatever safe. But does it work? Does it keep us safe and does it, reduce violence. And that's the real question. Right. And and according to some experts, I guess there's not there's not a ton of research on this specific matter, but the way curfews are enforced usually isn't great for people of color, which is that surprising? No, (laughs) not at all. (laughs) Wait, you mean there's a police actions that are disproportionately impacting communities of color in a bad way, I think, I think that's what I'm saying, James. Oh, okay. I, mm-hmm. Wow, shocking. Yeah, yeah. I know, mm-hmm. let that sink in. Yeah. And they think that that will, uh, could potentially exacerbate the problem because this is why people are protesting in the first place, right? Is to, uh, is because of police brutality and because of racial injustice and then to be racially profiled while a curfew is being in a, uh, enforced is absolutely the opposite of what we want. And and I understand it's in place for a reason. It's also, you know, I know a lot of governors and mayors have been, some of them are, are offering or are giving information about these curfews well in advance and others are not. And then yeah. it's put on, you know, I, I think of, 
me driving in a car at 5.30 p.m. when a curfew has already been enforced or you being in a car at 5.30 p.m. and who's going to get pulled over, who's going to get questioned, who's going to have a completely different experience when they do break that curfew, mm. and what if you didn't even have time to get home in time for that curfew to take place? Well, let's say you live in a city like Chicago, where uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, who has come under some pretty intense fire for her handling of how the protests have gone in Chicago, uh, and uh, Mayor Lightfoot is actually a former police officer herself, so she issued a curfew on Saturday in Chicago with 35 minutes to spare. So 35 minutes before the curfew initiated, she announced the curfew, but the public transportation system had already shut down. So you have people in different parts of the city in a city that requires public transportation to get around like Chicago. If you've never been Chicago is very akin to New York and that most people live with some sorts of public transportation as their primary source of transportation. And there's no they're public transportation stuck. to get home, but you have a curfew and they're stuck. And guess who's out protesting? Black and brown people. Like, right. and yes, and of course, white people are out there protesting. But to your point, Allie, and not even me, like I acknowledge my privilege as a very light skinned black person. Like, but let's say someone else is out there who is who the police are going to target, who is a young black man who might have been marching right next to you. And you guys were doing the exact same things. But who's going to be targeted in these situations? Right. And then you think about a city like Chicago that has their own very specific history with the police force and problems in there. You know, I mean, that goes back many, many years and there's so much work to be done there. So specifically in communities like that, it's going it's just going to have a negative effect on people of color. So you think about these curfews and yes, they are. I mean, I know that as far as Los Angeles, I know people are listening from all over. But in Los Angeles, there were thousands of protesters during the day. And then once the curfew took place, there were still hundreds. Um, But they were kind of the protesters that were out there. I saw some of the interviews. They were like, do you know about the curfew? And they're like, what curfew? And they were obviously (laughs) playing dumb. Oh, oh, right. Yeah. They're like, they're like, I don't know anything about a curfew. They're like, didn't you get the alert on your phone? They're like, I don't have a phone like throwing. I don't don't have a phone. (laughs) Right. Because anyone in this in this environment doesn't have a phone. Yeah. Anyway, listen, uh, you know, uh, long story short. I am a fan of not doing doing as little as possible to interact with the police when tensions are high like this. We all know that you know a lot of police officers are very good individuals and and whatever, but there is a it is a broken system. And until the system gets fixed, do whatever you can, particularly if you are black and brown, to not have to interact with the police, including if there is a curfew. Unfortunately, try not to violate it because it could be poor outcomes. Drop the subject. The new Channel Q. Drop the Subject presents News It or Lose It. All right, it's News It or Lose It time. Of course, we will continue to keep you updated on all things related to the protests and uh, all the goings on in the country right now, which, let's face it, there's a lot of stressors. So we will continue to break those down with you and for you. But, of course, there are... Uh, you know, it's sometimes nice to take a, a tiny bit of a breather. So it's news it or lose it time. And James, you've got a, a way to make decisions on whether to news or lose these headlines. Is that loud enough? Could you hear yes. that one? That like a bad. church bell. That was, yes, like a St. John's Episcopal church bell. <laughs> Am I holding up my Bible in front of it at a church I've never yeah. been to at a Bible I don't read? Sorry, we'll talk about that later. At a later. Bible that's probably not even a Bible. Not um, even a Bible, yeah. Um, all right, here's your first headline. Carol Baskin now owns Joe Exotic's (laughs) zoo. 
I heard, I know this is super inappropriate, but someone said uh, earlier, or I think I saw this on social media, someone was like, can we go back to the first season of Pandemic when it was eating too much food and watching Tiger King? Yeah, those were the good um, old days, And while right? like, we, we can't, no, we can't ignore what's going on in the world and what's going on with Black people and police brutality, I, I did think it was funny. I thought it was funny. Um, so speaking of that, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's news, Carol. Okay. That's cool. A possible new trend, this is coronavirus related. I know we've got kind of got masks figured out for the most part, but a new development with a glove that might Uh-oh. make our lives a little easier. Mmm. All right. And then headline number two, Leah Michelle is getting a lot of crap on Twitter yes. because she <laughs> Yes, we got to talk about this. Okay. Because I think she just got put on blast. Yeah, it's happening. Okay, so as celebrities continue to speak up um, about the Black Lives Matter movement, about good things, uh, ultimately, there are some celebrities who are being called out on their bad behavior. Um, Olivia Jade, she was one person who was like, this is bullcrap, police brutality. And they were like, you literally used your privilege to get into college. Like, so people are kind of being called out, which, of course, you know, people still change and things like that. But um, so, I, you know, you go kind of back and forth of getting giving someone the benefit of the doubt and, and hearing their message, but also being like, check your own privilege, honey. Mm-hmm. Um, and Leah Michelle is also being slammed by several people. First off, uh, a black actress named Samantha Marie Ware, who worked with Leah Michelle on Glee. I believe she was on season six. And she recalled Leah Michelle treating her horribly on set. And I can't say exactly what she said verbatim in her tweet response, but she said, <laughs> remember when you threatened to S in my wig? And um, I don't know what would bring someone to that point or how uh, getting off on the wrong foot could cause someone to say that. But there have been several other people speaking up and saying working with her was awful. Yeah, uh, like Amber Riley, for instance. Yes. Who was, and as she posted some hysterical things on her Twitter. She was, she did one gif of her raising her hand, I think, and she was like, um, "Excuse me, can I, can I talk?" And then that was all the gif was. And then the second one was just a gif of her like sipping her tea and her eyes going to either. Oh direction. yeah, I did see that. <laughs> oh my god. So I think that this is not going to end. I think this is the beginning of something. It might even be similar to what's going on with Ellen. You know, one person says, hey, this was a bad experience I had. And then other people go, yeah, uh, I had something similar Uh, happen to me, too. Yeah. Uh, Crapping in someone's wig is never something I would ever endorse. Anyway, um, here is a possible new product that you can add to your Amazon cart, possibly. Uh It is called the Retractable Glove. And you know how people will clip on, like, hand sanitizer to their belt loop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is a little glove that you can attach to your belt loop, and it's shaped like a little oven mitt, but it's a little retractable glove. So if you're going to reach for a door or something, you just put your hand in the glove, reach for the door, open the door, and then pull the glove out, and it stays attached to your belt loop, and you go on with your day. Huh, how interesting is that? As a doctor and a nurse practitioner, what do you think? Do you think this is, I mean, you probably have to wash that thing often. Yeah, I feel like fundamentally, like theoretically, it protects you. 
Uh, I'm not sure though if you are. Again, we know that the like like coronavirus doesn't really live on surfaces very well. It lives, but not intact in a way that can infect you. Let me clarify. But so if let's say you touch something that has COVID-19 on it and then you use that same glove and you're going around and just touching a bunch of other stuff, then it sort of defeats the purpose because then you're still spreading it. But it's an interesting, interesting, interesting concept. baby step forward. As a woman, I don't think I'm going to walk around with an oven mitt on my belt. No, <laughs> uh, no. As in anybody. As people I mean, are going to expect things yeah. from me that I can't give. All right. Oh, my. Yeah. Carol Baskin. She's America's favorite Karen. She now owns Joe Exotic's Zoo. And uh, of, of course, course it was owned by Jeff Lowe. You know, the, remember the guy from the bathtub and the weird bandana and he had that those swinger three-way oh, yeah, relationship yeah. with his wife. Uh-huh. So him and his wife were theoretically, they owned the, the zoo. And I guess because of some some loopholes, Carol Baskin took them to court and said that it was a fr- it, that the, the the zoo was fraudulently transferred to the two of them, and now it needs to be seized by Joe Exotics credit uh, Exotics creditors, which would include her because he owed her money. So oh, because wow. of those court proceedings and the claim that she filed, she is now the legal owner of Joe Exotics Zoo. Get it's just one or more land for her buried husbands. Yikes! Love it. <laughs> I mean, I guess. <laughs> Carol? I mean, anyway, oh wait, I I didn't catch your more land for buried husbands there, Allie. Maybe it's because I willfully blocked that out <laughs> because there's no way that she didn't kill I, her I mean, husband. I mean, so just it's not confirmed, yeah. but I think I'm we all can saying, say like, this is drop the subject. <laughs> drop the subject. The new channel Q. Drop the subject. Welcome back. It's Allie Johnson and Dr. James, Dr. James Simmons. And um, wanted to share a few things with you. Number one, um, and I know there's a lot of different things going on in different cities, but I'm assuming you've gotten this as well, James. County of L.A. is ordering another curfew from 6 p.m. tonight to 6 a.m. tomorrow. I imagine this will continue for many days. And it's it's. I don't know how you feel about if things from what I was reading and and hearing in the news from the protests last night, at least in Los Angeles, there was a a turn. There was the tone took a bit of a a turn where it seemed that there were more arrests happening, that there was a bigger police presence and there was the, the, you know, the national guard was being cited. And, and I, I think it will be very interesting to see how this changes the course of the protests and whether they are peaceful or violent. Yeah. I I think this, Oh man, this, you know, rhetoric of like, we're going to dominate you and we're going to come, come down on you hard and governors, you don't know what you're doing and all of these things. And like the, you know, earlier and earlier curfews, meaning there's can be more and more police action, which is actually the opposite of what we're trying to accomplish here. I think it it could get worse before it gets better, unfortunately, that, but you know, no, not, not to use like cliches or quotes or anything, but no change. Um, hasn't come without making pretty much everyone uncomfortable and and without some unrest. And this is exactly the place that we're in right now as a country. And we also wanted to share that. uh, Yes, well said, James. Um, Some of the well, the autopsy report, an independent autopsy report was done on George Floyd, which confirmed what, of course, many of us already knew, which was that his death uh, was a result of a homicide. 
uh, from asphyxiation from sustained pressure when his neck and back were compressed by Minneapolis police officers during the arrest. Um, apparently, the pressure cut off the blood flow to his brain, and that is what the autopsy determined. And, of course, it's... This is something that's not a surprise, but it's important to say those words because you got to let that sink in. This is a death by homicide because somebody, a police officer, a white police officer, knelt on this man's neck for eight minutes and what was it, 46 seconds? 46 seconds, uh-huh. So, you know, these autopsy reports are, it's important to share this information and let that sink in as hard as it is to hear because, um, and, and that, and also to keep in mind that this is not the first person and I can't breathe, unfortunately, is a hashtag that has already been used. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, you know, wanted to share that and kind of reflect on it together. And I think it's also, you know, this is really difficult to hear and really difficult to say, but the autopsy, the independent autopsy also, you know, concluded that uh, Mr. Floyd became pulseless at four minutes. Oh. So for an additional four minutes and 46 seconds, four police officers knelt on a dead man. Hmm. J- just just let that sink in and understand yep. why people are are upset. And you can hear even in those videos, there was apparently a nurse in the crowd who was screaming, let me check his pulse, let me check his pulse, let me at least do something. And those police did not allow that to occur. So um, regardless of whatever else is in either autopsy report, it, it's pretty clear that that you know, asphyxiation from sustained pressure. And then whether that led to a cardiopulmonary arrest, which is what the first report said, doesn't matter. This man was murdered. Yep, absolutely. When we come back, we're going to talk to Dr. Robin D'Angelo. She, um, she's an expert on multicultural studies. We've talked to her before about why white people have such a hard time talking about racism. These are conversations we need to have. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Drop the subject. The new Channel Q. Welcome back to Drop the Subject with Allie and Dr. James Simmons. You've been a doctor for a little less than 24 hours now, which we are celebrating all show long, of course. And also, we are continuing to have some much-needed conversations in response to the murder of George Floyd, the protests that are going on nationwide, the civil unrest that is going on in our country. And we talked to Dr. Errol Southers from USC yesterday, and I wanted to bring on Dr. Robin D'Angelo on the show, who we've had on before, um, Rob. Robin, first of all, welcome. Thank you. And we've talked to Dr. Robin D'Angelo in the past about her article, White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. Um, I thought we could start with that and also talk about some of your other publications, which are incredibly important and, and very needed conversations to have right now. What are the most important and most effective ways that white people can be responding right now? Just your top line thoughts on that change what they understand it means to be racist. I'm at a point where I'm just going to say over and over, I'm not racist is functionally meaningless. We have to stop uh, with this idea that we could be white in this society and be free of racism. Every act of racism that 
you could recognize and identify the people who committed those acts would claim they're not racist. So it really doesn't mean anything. Uh, so the very first thing we can do is get ourselves educated uh, and spend some time reflecting on a question that most white people can't answer, which is what does it mean to be white? You know, never mind interrogating James about his experience. Uh, start with some self-awareness about your own, because if you can't answer that question, you're not going to be able to hold what it means not to be uh, white. And you're, you're not going to be able to take in what James is trying to tell you. And you're going to hear any suggestion uh, that you could not be free from racism as a suggestion that you're a bad, uh, immoral person. And that's another reason why it's so hard to talk to white people about racism is we've been taught that it's a very simple formula. Individuals who consciously don't like people based on race and are intentionally mean to them. Well, that pretty much exempts all white people from the water we're swimming in, the messages we've internalized, and all the ways those messages seep out, awarely or not, in everything we say and do. I really, I'm struck by what you said at the towards the beginning of that as well, is that, you know, that... I, I've, I've tried to address this so much and it, sometimes it's really difficult, um, you know, as educated and well-spoken as I think I am and have been most of my life. Sometimes when you hear, you know, white people say, well, I'm not racist. What happens is that they just shut down. There's this like, well, I'm not racist, so I don't need to learn anything else. I, I'm not racist. So I don't, we need, this conversation isn't about me. I'm not racist. So you can say all of these things, James, or, or anyone, you can be angry but that's not, you're not really actually talking about me. There's so many parallels to that that I could draw. How do you break that barrier? <laughs> so when you know that white person says, well, I'm not racist. What's like the, what's the next thing out of your mouth? And that's, that's uh, a tough question. Um, <laughs> so let me, let me just, I want to really like use this opportunity to, to do a little bit of teaching for white people listening. Did you hear what James just said? He's not convinced in some ways saying I'm not racist is absolutely a red flag that you are a dangerous person and a difficult person that is not conveying by any means what you think it's conveying. And then the evidence we use to back up that claim that I'm not racist is ridiculous, right? Well, you know, I, I'm from Canada. Uh, I, I grew up in New York. I had a black roommate. Um, you know, I was in Teach for America. I speak three languages. We, you know, we could just go on and on with the the evidence white people use it, which is is quite ridiculous. I'm a cisgender woman. I'm married to a cisgender white man. Uh, he loves me, but let me assure you that his love for me has not freed him of his conditioning under patriarchy. And on occasion, mm. it comes through. So I might try to connect to something that person can relate to. So if they're an LGBTQ person, I might say, so what comes up for you when, when heterosexual people say to you, I'm not homophobic? Do you just take that at face value? And, mm -hmm. and especially when they say it in response to you trying to point out to them an, a, a homophobic assumption that they just made that they didn't know they were making. Well, I guess, so yeah, I would try to have something that they could relate to. And if they are a minority themselves in some kind of way, uh, you might be able to draw from that. Well, that's the other piece of it that's very important to point out is I think people, I mean, there's this 
thing of, I guess for me as a, as a white gay person to say, well, how could I possibly relate in any way to what a black person is experiencing? I guess, yes, I've experienced sexism in my life. Yes, I've experienced prejudice and, and negative uh, thoughts and feelings towards me for my sexuality. And also to acknowledge that still does not mean I know anything about the experience of what it's like to live in this world as a black person. So I think it's important, right, to yeah. to acknowledge that, 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 yes, I have experienced those things as well, but it's not the same. And I can't claim that just because I've experienced that, that it makes it relatable or or the same as in any way. Yeah, you use it to connect, to, to relate, to try to, to try to understand, but you do not use it to exempt yourself. And so often we will use that experience to exempt ourselves. Um, it's, it's so loud where we swim against the current and it's completely silent where we swim with the current. So you're going to be acutely aware of, of where you experience uh, oppression. You, but that doesn't mean you don't have privilege somewhere else. So, so this is what I would say to anybody in this case, LGBTQ, talk to me how being white has shaped how you experience uh, your identity in, in the world. Shape, uh, talk to me about what anti-blackness looks like in the white queer community. Uh, talk to me about who's at the bottom of that hierarchy, even within that oppressed category. Um, Anti-Blackness does circulate in the white queer community. Uh, I think that's difficult mm -hmm. to deny. So I usually will just mm -hmm. offer, so tell me how being white, you know, helps you navigate uh, queerness uh, in this society. Oh boy. All right. That question is intense. And it is the exact question that we are going to address when we come back, because that <laughs> comes up a lot. And it has come up a lot in the last few days, uh, given the circumstances of the protests around George Floyd and police brutality and the killing of black men. Uh, we are going there with Dr. Robin D'Angelo. And I am loving it. This is Drop the Subject. Drop the Subject. The new Channel Q. Welcome back to Drop the Subject. This is James Q. Simmons, guest co-hosting with your Ali Johnson. And we are continuing our conversation with Dr. Robin D'Angelo, author of White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism, and uh, a laundry list of other accomplishments, including being a professor at the University of Washington, which is where she's joining us from now on Zoom. And at the end of the last break, we you brought up this really, really intriguing point that uh, uh, Dr. D'Angelo, that I, I want to explore a little bit more uh, in the short time that we have left, this concept of how does whiteness help you navigate being queer as the as being queer is your oppression, but being white within that oppression, how does that help you navigate that? And I think that already it starts to be a little bit too complex for a lot of people to go there. And a lot of people have not ever been able to think, well, I'm queer, boom, stop, full stop, hard stop, that's my oppression. But you being white in it actually gives you some sort of privilege as well, which is an interesting concept. Absolutely. Uh, I grew up in poverty. Uh, I was raised as a female, Catholic female raised in poverty. I experienced very early classism, sexism. Uh, I internalized a deep sense of, of shame and inferiority. And I also always knew I was white and I knew that it was mm -hmm. better to be pleased. Right. I don't have less <laughs> racial privilege because I experienced other forms of oppression. Um, 
And it, I mean, I don't have more, uh, I don't have more racism because I, because I grew up poor, you know, uh, because we like to kind of offload racism to, to poor white people. But mm-hmm. we also, at the same time, also know that we're, that we're white. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge barrier that we're not also navigating and not na- navigating that barrier helps us with the ones that we do navigate. Mm. One thing, and, and let me just add a piece. Please. Sure, please. I'm going to, I'm going to just go out here. I'm kind of tired. Please. We're in an area where I'm not going to hold back anymore. If I'm going to go and do a workshop and they say, this is a, a, a gay white male audience, I kind of, Oh, cringe. And so do a lot <laughs> of, of uh, anti-racist educators It's like there are certain white Ashkenazi Jews of European descent are another group that they're just really they there's a tendency to be really defensive and to have a really hard time owning privilege, owning that being white shapes that experience. And I understand it. I mean, the oppression is what you're seeing uh, all the time. But now imagine you've added and you're also black. I, I have mm-hmm. to say it again, please. <laughs> you know, that would not be the same experience. Why do you think that, like, another thing that I, I know that I'm going to be honest and say that I felt and I've heard a lot of other white people say is, I feel like no matter what I say, it's going to be the wrong thing. And I'm afraid to, I don't know whether to use this hashtag or say Black Lives Matter or do this or do that because I'm afraid of, of saying the wrong thing or offending anybody. What is your response to that? Because, I mean, for me, it's just been about sitting in that and just moving past that and being like, you know what, I'm just going to say what, I'm just going to be where I'm at and know that I'm going to make mistakes. But I just wanted to kind of dive into that a little bit because I think it's so important right now for white voices to be speaking. And I think there are a lot of white people who use that kind of feeling to almost as an excuse or definitely directly as an excuse. I would say, uh, yeah, you know, toughen up. Um, if you think that I am articulate on this articulate on this topic, it's because I have made thousands and thousands of mistakes and I continue to make those mistakes. The reason the people of color in my life have not given up on me is because I learn and grow from my mistakes. You cannot uh, gain any kind of awareness in this society as a white person around racism without making mistakes. To not do that, to use that as an excuse, uh, is really just to protect your your position and your and your privilege. There's just simply no neutral place. You cannot get something this complex a right by everyone. You can't get it as right as you can by as many as you can as as often as you can, and um, just endure it. In some ways, it's about you, um, and some ways it's not about you. So if I were to say something right now. Uh, make an assumption that landed on James uh, as a microaggression, uh, as a reveal of a of a racist f- assumption I was making about him that I didn't even know I was making about it, and he had a really strong reaction to me, which you know, righteous ind- indignation. I would know that yes, I did that thing, uh, and, and so it's about me. But also, you know, it's the straw, the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back, and that I'm probably, actually, uh, it's a moment of trust that James somewhere feels that he could call me in and not destroy the relationship. So I'm going to ask a question of James that I want 
all the white people to listen closely to his answer, mm. if I may. <laughs> How often yes. have you attempted to give a white person feedback on their inevitable and often unaware racist assumptions and patterns and had that go well for you? <laughs> I was like, daily? And then you said, go well for me. And I was like, oh. Never? <laughs> I mean, I do. So I have a very interesting experience in that I I grew up, I'm biracial. I grew up black. I grew up in a black neighborhood in Nebraska. And so surrounded by by white people in a state that is 94% white um, and mostly rural and very red. And so I'm, I'm a very, I'm so comfortable having uncomfortable conversations about race and them not going well mm-hmm. and being able to still move past that. And, and, I've gotten to the point where I kind of like you said before, as long as someone shows improvement or at least an effort towards improvement, I'm a, I'm not going to completely, you know, we use the word cancel now. I'm not going to completely cancel you because for a while it was the only way I could survive because I was literally surrounded by white people. And it was, you know, I was in a state that was so white and I had to, now that's different. I think in being in a different environment, the conversations are often better uh, but you use the word well, and to me, that means like a good, right? It went very well, and that's very rare. You know, I've been asking that question for 20 years, and the number one answer, honestly, has been never and then and then rarely. Uh, and so most people of color actually don't risk talking to us about it. They just put up with it or endure it because it tends to get worse, not better. So I want all the white people to hear and just really want to amplify what James said when he said, if there's some kind of goal to improve, if there, if that person seeks to repair, then it actually deepens the relationship. We're not going to be given up on because we mess up. There's no way we, we could not mess up. That cannot be the reason not to get uh, in the struggle. And I'll never forget a woman of color said to me, good boy, being a white person uh, trying to do this, you know, work on anti-racism must be a bit like being a cat on a hot roof. There's just nowhere you can step where you're not going to burn your feet. And I, and I was kind of like, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm so glad you see that. And then she just looked at me and said, but you stay up on that roof and you keep stepping <laughs> and uh, you, you don't get to get off the roof. <laughs> Amen. Amen to that. Dr. D'Angelo, I, I mean, we could have this conversation mm-hmm. all day long, the rest of the show. Um, unfortunately, we have to go, but I, I am so honored and privileged to have this opportunity to speak with you and to bring your knowledge and wisdom to our listeners and to me and to Allie and, and to all of us, because it's important we have these conversations now. And I, I, you, you have the book, White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. Where else can people find out more information about you, Dr. D'Angelo? Yeah, certainly my website website, robindangelo.com. But I want to recommend two powerful books, both written by black people. Uh, One is called Me and White Supremacy Workbook by Leila Saeed, where you you do the Mm -hmm. book, you don't read the book. And the other is um, Dr. Eddie Moore's 21 Day Challenge, which is free and you can find it on the internet, which actually walks you through. Because just thinking you understand with no actual work or action is functionally meaningless. So Google it, you know, Google it. The information's everywhere in 2020. There are so many good lists. Break with the apathy and the certitude and the complacency that it's not you. Assume that it is you and start uh, reaching out and finding those resources. 
Dr. Robin D'Angelo, thank you so much. I, I know I've learned a lot and it's been a privilege to have these conversations and, I, and I'd love to have you back on the show anytime. I, I think more of these conversations need to be happening and we really, really appreciate your time. You are most welcome. Drop the subject. The new Channel Q. Drop the subject with Ali and Dr. James Simmons. And we're having all kinds of important conversations today. Also wanted to share with you um, a couple of things. One, yes, there are many primaries today. I believe eight states are voting. Um, Joe Biden made some statements regarding the murder of George Floyd and some of the protests that are going on right now. I know we heard from the current president earlier in the show. Um, so I think it's important to play... Um, at least, uh, and we're going to play about a minute of audio right now of what Joe Biden specifically said, because uh, I think it's important to note what he's saying versus what our current president is saying. Take a listen. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. George Floyd's last words, but they didn't die with him. They're still being heard, echoing all across this nation. They speak to a nation where... Too often, just the color of your skin puts your life at risk. They speak to a nation where more than 100,000 people have lost their lives to a virus and 40 million have filed for unemployment, with a disproportionate number of those deaths and job losses concentrated in black and brown communities. And they speak to a nation where every day millions of people, and millions, not at the moment of losing their life, but in the course of living their life, are saying to themselves, I can't breathe. It's a wake-up call to our nation, in my view. It's for all of us, and I mean all of us. It's not the first time we've heard those words. They're the same words we heard from Eric Garner when his life was taken away six years ago. I think it's pretty phenomenal that you in such a stark contrast between, you know, Joe Biden, say what you will about him as the presumptive uh, Democratic presidential nominee, his words being so starkly different from what we heard out of uh, our current president, Donald Trump's mouth yesterday. And then Donald Trump just grandstanding, right, said all of these things in the Rose Garden, took no questions, came out and made what what amounts to uh, the, the complete opposite of what the country needed to hear. And then protesters, peaceful protesters, were shot with rubber bullets and teared gas so that they could get out of the way so that President Trump could do a photo op in front of St. John's Episcopal Church in D.C., a place where, um, as my husband said, he doesn't even go there. <laughs> the bishop of D.C. had a lot to say about that. What did it feel like at that moment when he was standing before that church with the Bible held high? Well, it, it's it's a culmination of feelings. I mean, my uh, the, let's not forget the real pain that's um, that's that's spread before us um, every second of every day in these last weeks, and so that's the real pain. Uh, this was a charade that, in huh. some ways, was meant to bolster a message that. Um, does nothing to calm, to calm the soul and to reassure the nation that we can recover from this moment, which is what we need from a president. And that's what the faith communities stand for. And so um, it wasn't one emotion. It was a, um, a, a series of emotions. And again, I don't want us to lose sight of the real agony here. Um, 
Bishop Marianne Edgar Budd of the Episcopal Boom. Diocese of Washington, like laid it down, said this was a charade, and she is um, really upset about the charade that was used on on a church from her denomination. Uh, and it's pretty striking that um, the different tone that we see in our presumptive presidential nominee Joe Biden versus uh, Donald Trump. Absolutely, and I think it's so important for somebody like her to speak up because um, because of this correlation between church and state, right? And to 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 speak up as a as a woman of faith and say this was not okay is so important. And it it echoes back to what we were talking with Dr. Errol Southers about yesterday, which was that. These are supposed to be safe spaces. Churches and universities, those are supposed to be safe spaces for us to have constructive conversations or to be together peacefully. So to have officers tear gas the president of the United States in order to get a photo op in front of one of those places is absolutely disgusting. And I know that there are not like I know there are people who don't love Joe Biden. It's a hell of a lot better than this. Well said, Ali. Drop the subject. Drop the subject. The new Channel Q. Getting some messages from you guys who are listening, and we very much appreciate you hanging out with us and and having some of these conversations because they're not easy to have. Going to be totally honest, Allie, Dr. James Simmons, we are here with you and for you. And, um, you know, I, I think it's really, really wonderful to get messages from you guys who are listening, whether you're catching up on the podcast or listening live, um, who, um, you know, are taking this opportunity to also actively listen and and learn something. And Cam Wagon on Instagram direct message us and said, just catching up on yesterday's show via podcast. Thank you guys for what you do. Very powerful and educational. We really, we really appreciate that so much this these are difficult conversations to have period and especially sort of on on the air and do it in the right way um and so we thank you for the for that feedback we really do and quickly also wanted to mention from chris Contreras on twitter had a question for you dr james at dts show and at ask the np so james is now dnp and before we established that NP stood for nice package, now that there's a D in front of that, what does the D stand for? Or more importantly, <laughs> what doesn't it stand for? Oh, Chris Contreras, able to bring us a little bit of laugh and light and humor in the middle of everything going on. Thank you for that, Chris. D, nice package, I guess. We'll, we'll go with that. It's D, nice very D, nice. The D, very nice package. Um all right. Now we are going to get into a story that was uh, that's that's getting a lot of attention right now. And it's very important that we talk about the Louisville police chief and why he has, let's just say, retired a little bit early, but pretty much he was fired. And um, and so let's kind of break down what happened and what led to his uh, to his firing in the last 24 hours. Yeah. So so bottom line, uh, Louisville. Uh, Metro Police Chief Steve Conrad uh, was relieved of duty, as Ali said, after it was revealed that officers involved in a shooting that killed a local business owner who is black. This happened on Monday. Um, none of those police officers had uh, activated their body cameras. So um, what we do know is that this, you know, protests have been going on in Louisville. Louisville, of course, is the site of uh, a name you probably have heard a lot, Breonna Taylor, who... Um, was shot by police after they broke into her apartment where she was home sleeping because the police were in the wrong apartment looking for someone else who did not even actually live in the apartment building 
And Brianna got up and was like, why are you in my house? And they shot her and she was black. And so, you know, there's been some unrest in Louisville anyway. Uh, well now, you know, long story short, there's a, uh, a gentleman by the name of David McAtee, who uh, was the owner of a very popular, who's a chef and owner of a popular um, barbecue uh, joint, if you will, in Louisville, who actually fed police while they were working and he fed them for free. Uh, but police and National Guard were called into Louisville. Uh, the police said that they were fired on. The police fired back. And the person they ended up shooting and killing was David McAtee, who was a black man as supporter of the protests, but also a supporter of positive police action. Um, and he is now dead by their actions. <sighs> and then the situation in Omaha that we spoke about yesterday, where the restaurant owner shot a black man who was protesting near or just outside of his bar, we are also finding out likely will not see charges as a result of that murder. Yeah, you know, this this one's really interesting. And so, you know, obviously I'm from, well, I'm, maybe not obviously, but uh, I am from Omaha. And so I still have people and friends and family there, um, not only who just live there, but individuals who are sort of connected. And this is why each individual situation is different. There, there likely will be some charges brought up against Mr. Gardner, um, uh, who was the bar owner who uh, shot James Skurlock, who's a 22-year-old black man. It did not go down as originally described. This man did not just walk out of his building and shoot a black protester, which is what you were hearing. There was a scuffle. There was a fight. Um, they were being physical with each other. Mr. Gardner had a gun then, and in the middle of the skirmish, pulled out the gun and shot Mr. Skurlock. Um, so there's there's no not necessarily probable cause. He probably will get charged with something. But in terms of this being like murder one, which right. is what everyone was thinking, that that's not going to be the case. Well, and it's not the case with Derek Chauvin, which a lot of people think should be murder one rather than, I mean, after four minutes, if somebody's unconscious, you consciously uh -huh. have to lean on their neck and step on their neck for another four uh, and a half minutes Thomas. like that yes. that is not third degree murder in my opinion right. um okay exactly. we are going for just a tip tuesday we will do it today but it's going to be a little different we're going to talk about how to reform this is according to experts now ways uh and just kind of brainstorming ways to reform the american police force because let's face it there's a lot of problems with it we're also going to talk about a few positive things that have come from police chiefs in the last uh in the last few days so stay here on drop the subject and we'll be right back drop the subject the new channel q drop the subject starting a fresh new hour of radio here with ali johnson and dr james simmons breaking down all kinds of things today and thought we would spend a little bit of time to talk about some of the positive responses that police uh, chiefs and police officers have have had in response to the protests, because I know, yes, there, I think also another added thing is that a lot of people like LeBron James, and a lot of other celebrities and people with platforms have said, I think there should be more coverage of peaceful protesting, which there is a lot of. And there are also good things that police chiefs and police forces are doing right now. That's not to say that anything is perfect. We absolutely know that it is not. And that's not why we're sharing this information. But there's a lot of heavy stuff going on right now. And I think it's important to point out a few uh, a few glimmers of, of hope and positivity throughout that. Well, and, and this is, you know, listen, there there has to be a first step towards something. And that first step is not always going to make everybody happy. And it's not even necessarily going to be the exact first step that, that I think a lot of people want. But I do think it is important to acknowledge that there has to be a, a first step. Like, 
at the end of the day, whether we like it or not, police aren't going anywhere. We got, we have to learn right. as a, police have to learn how to live and stop killing black people. Period. End of discussion. And then they have to learn how to stop being oppressive to black people and other peoples of color and poor communities and all of those things. There's a massive issues with our police system. We also have to learn how to live with police. And this, it doesn't mean that we have to do the work. The police need to be doing the work right now. But at some point, there's there's going to be this symbiotic relationship because the police aren't going anywhere. And so. I do think it's important to say, all right, well, at least we have some police chiefs. We have some folks who are marching with protesters, who are kneeling, and and representation matters. We talk about that in a lot of different ways. And so even in places like Green Bay, Wisconsin, um, you know, that that the, the chief of police there, um, Paolo Ruiz, um, said, you know, spoke in front of a crowd. And and the crowd was was harassing him a little bit, but he you know he was saying we have a long way to go in law enforcement. We have a long way uh, as far as accountability, and the person that is responsible for holding officers accountable for the actions that they take is me. Uh, that was Chief of Police Andrew Smith. Sorry, uh, one of, that was the name of the other one of the officers. But I think this is really important in Denver. They're 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 doing the same thing. Uh, Chief of Police there, Paul Pazin, um, marched with protesters arm in arm. Um, and, and even in Houston, you know, there's a fantastic viral speech of, of the uh, chief of police from Houston, whose name is Art Acevedo, who was fired up. And he was like, I am a brown person. Uh, I am a, a Hispanic man uh, in the third largest city in the United States and a chief of police. And I see what is wrong here. But even me being a brown person, I don't understand it because I'm not black. But I know we got to fix it. Yeah. And I think it's just it's. It goes back, again, I, I referenced when we talked to Dr. Errol, Errol Southers, people who, I mean, he's like, I'm African-American and I joined the police, I, I joined law enforcement to try and help this situation. I cannot imagine what it's like to to have to sit there and enforce a curfew while also mm-hmm. probably feeling like you want to protest yourself. Yeah. Um, also in Ohio, in Lorraine, which I guess is a smaller city in Ohio, police chief Jim McCann not only walked with people and listened to people, he also knelt down on one knee with them. He was holding a sign with them, stand together. So he was using that as an opportunity to to listen and to kneel with his fellow citizens in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, the march there ended peacefully yesterday after, after a curfew, after their curfew when police knelt and prayed with the protesters. And then and in New Jersey, police chief, um, a police chief there, he carried a banner with some of the protesters. He helped lead the march in a peaceful protest. So, you know, this is this is a real opportunity for specifically police chiefs to to speak up and start these conversations. And um, and, and I really hope to see more of this, obviously, um, and less of things that are happening in Louisville. Yeah. Sorry, Ali. Uh, no, 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 there, no. That this wasn't. Is, I do think that there is something really striking about all of this, though. And, 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 and I have to point this out because we have to keep having these, these difficult conversations. But other than Art Acevedo of Houston, all of these other police chiefs are white. Yeah. And... <laughs> 
that in right there is is fundamentally part of the problem. Yeah. You you we 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 just talked about this. Like it is it is so difficult as a white person to understand the what is going on in these situations and then you know even starting with things like I'm not racist and all of these other things and then to be a part of a police state and the culture that we talked about with Errol Southers and 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 all of these things that go into this and then your figurehead, your person leading all of this is a white man. That that speaks to the problem right there, and it, until the the structure changes, until representation changes, until police organizations and police departments start to reflect what their communities look like, change isn't really going to happen. But it has to start from within. So at least this is a positive step in the right direction. Absolutely. Very well said. And when we come back for Just the Tip Tuesday, we're going to talk about some of the ways that experts think could create some positive change in police reform. So we'll talk about that when we come back right here on Drop the Subject. Drop the Subject, the new Channel Q. Just the Tip Tuesday here on Drop the Subject. I'm James Q. Simmons with your Allie Johnson and... In light of everything going on today, uh, you know, we're doing a little bit of a different Just the Tip Tuesday, and we wanted to sort of initiate this conversation. We started it yesterday a little bit with Dr. Errol Southers, but we want to continue this conversation about how do we actually reform policing in America? We are obviously not the experts on that. But there are people out there who have investigated this and who are experts at it. And so for just the tip Tuesday, we're, we're going to kind of start off with... Tuesday, what, you what said is, Tuesday. Tuesday. I did say Tuesday, just the tip Tuesday. Uh, we should be doing that more, right? Uh, there's, a, there's this uh, piece by uh, uh, German Lopez who... Um, from Vox with a V, V-O-X on Vox. And he goes through... It's a very long piece about how to reform American police. And he actually interviewed uh, multiple law enforcement experts about this and police reform experts um, and put together this really fantastic sort of list. And we thought we'd just kind of start to go through it today with you. Yes. And I think it's also worth noting that this list was put together in 2016. And the article writer notes that all of these things, all eight of them, um, which I mean, like I, like James said, we're not going to be able to, to do a deep dive into this right, right at this very moment. It's going to be an ongoing conversation, but all eight of them completely hold up and none of them have been in none of these changes, these suggested changes have been implemented at all on a national scale. Uh, so number one would be police apologizing for the centuries of abuse that have been going on. Um, you know, I think that it's important to, yes, acknowledge that not all cops are bad, but also that uh, accountability and apologies need to be had. Um, and some police officers might feel, that, and this is according to the article, that the criticisms are unfair. Some might bear, uh, might hear about the history of police being used on slave patrols and feel that they are wrongly being blamed for things long before they were born. But that's not what this is about. This is about um, it, that doesn't matter. The reality is that minorities distrust police for a reason. And this is a step towards undoing some of that. Right. And there, there, ha and there has to be that first step, right? You have to acknowledge the history of this, apologize for it and meaningfully apologize for it um, before we can move on to other ones. Step uh, uh, issue number two or step number two, how they can reform, uh, police can reform is police should be trained to address their racial biases. And this is something we've talked about kind of a lot in the show today, but ongoing is that addressing that internal thing. And that's kind of a reason why a lot of police don't feel like they should have to apologize or that it's unfair. Well, those were other police or that happened in the past. 
No, you're a part of a system that is broken and a system that is racially biased. And so then you also have to be trained on what those biases are because there is, there is the kids call it being woke, right? But there are a lot of police who just are not woke to how inherently racist and broken their system is. And so you have to train individuals that way uh, to, to get them there, train them why they're more likely to shoot uh, uh, on armed black individuals, uh, train them on all of these different things. And right now, what basic training looks like is, you know, most time is spent on firearm skills, self-defense and health and fitness. It looks like about um, 4% is spent on training police about hate crimes. And oh, about, cool. Yeah. yeah 8% of their training is spent on mediation and conflict management. And another 8% is spent on community policing strategies, while 60% is spent on firearm training. And as as it also states in this article, a, a, a black person is twice as likely to get shot and killed by police than um, than there than a white person. So and that that was again, this was information from 2016. Going to go ahead and say it's probably not changed in, in the last four years. Uh, number three, police should be avoiding situations that lead them to use force. One example that they cite in this article is the death of 12 year old Tamir Rice. He was a. Uh, kid playing in a park with a toy gun and he was shot within two seconds of the police getting out of their squad car. What they could have done is parked further away, surveyed the area, walked into the park slowly, gave, maybe gave some warnings and spoke to, to Tamir Rice beforehand. So there are changes that can be made as in terms of the protocol and, uh, and finding ways not to have these situations escalate, which I, he I hesitate to even say escalate because there was no escalation. It just ended. <laughs> and, right. Well, I mean, there, and there's there's research about this. You know, they, their Los Angeles, or excuse me, Las Vegas Police Department did sort of a trial run of this. And they said that any police who was doing a foot pursuit policy, their, their policy was that if that officer was giving chase, they should not be the first person to ever put their hands on the suspect. Hmm. And just that small act. So you chase them still, et cetera, but don't put your hands on the sub suspect. Don't be the first one. Uh, amounted to a 23% reduction in the total use of force um, and 11% reduction in officer injury. So hmm. just, just simple yeah. things like that, but you have to evaluate your system and believe that things need to change before that can happen. Number four, um, this is uh, what a lot of people are talking about. Officers must be held accountable in a very transparent way. Um, this was the body camera issue that happened in Louisville, which is why the chief of police was fired, because all of their body cameras were off, even though they were supposed to be on. But we know that a lot of things have changed and maybe they haven't really because of body cameras. Yeah, and, and we have to wrap up. And I, I do think, you know, like we said earlier, this is going to be an ongoing conversation. Some of the other things just quickly are on-the-job incentives for police officers. Those need reform because a lot of the times those end up uh, working out badly for people of color. Uh, having higher standards and better pay for police officers. Police need to also focus on the few people in communities that are causing chaos and violence. And then finally, number eight is we need better data to evaluate police and crime. So, um, again, we're going to be talking about this more as um, as the days and weeks go on. This is not something that we solve overnight, obviously, but it's important that we um, kind of I, I think this article is fascinating and been very, very thorough and well thought out and, and very informational. So we're going to tweet that out for you if you'd like to um, give it a look, see a, a, a deeper dive, if you will. And when we get back, news it or lose it. Drop the subject. The new Channel Q. Drop the Subject presents News It or Lose It. 
Drop the subject, new channel Q. James Simmons with your Allie Johnson. And uh, we have had some really pretty intense, uh, but awesome and much needed conversations on the show today. We thank you so much for um, listening and contributing. We want to hear from you. Uh, we want to hear your thoughts and and how you think the conversation can continue to move forward at DTS show on Twitter and Instagram. However, now it is time to lighten the mood just a little bit for just a moment, because that is important with a little news it or lose it. I have three headlines. Allie has a binger banger dinger clanger. Oh, oh, hold on. Bip, boop. Yep, she's... There, there we go. We are binging, banging, dinging, clanging. Headline, Allie Johnson, number one. UK makes hooking up illegal due to COVID-19. Wait, what? I need more. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, headline number two. They are related. Grinder marks the start of Pride Month by ditching its ethnicity filter. Ooh, I like that. Let's news that as well. Headline number three has nothing to do with anything going on in the world right now. You're welcome. Guinness World Record awarded for highest library book fine ever paid. <laughs> sure. Why the hell not? Give me a three for three. I want to hear about uh, ridiculous Guinness World Records are just like, hey, guys. We're here if you need us. <laughs> it's and it's uh, it's the most ridiculous thing. And do, do you, just take a wild guess. What do you think the uh, the highest ever library book fine paid according to Guinness Book of World Records? You is? do always hear those stories about a man who is ninety eight years old and opened a library card when he was twenty four years old, forgets to bring back you know Pride and Prejudice, and then it's like seventeen thousand dollars i'm gonna i'm gonna say it's it's over 20 g's I th- i'm gonna go with 25 grand so interestingly george washington like our first president was it his book, book the law of nations no from the new york <laughs> library after becoming president and he did not return it <laughs> the, his mount vernon estate returned it 221 years later but they <laughs> okay. he did not get charged a fine for that Interestingly, so I would have done what you did. This fine was only $345. Oh, come on. And that's the Guinness Book of World Records? Which makes me think that there's actually an actual record out there that is not the Guinness Book of World Records. But uh, apparently, um, Emily Canelo Sims found a poetry book called Days and Deeds. It's a book of children's poems in her mother's house that was due back to the Kiwani Public Library in Illinois on April 19th, 2000, or excuse me, 1955. <laughs> yeah. So she took and, it back. Uh-huh. And how much was <laughs> it? It had accumulated at two cents a day because that was the fine at that time. Oh, what is it now? Like a buck a day? Uh, oh, yeah, I think it's a lot more now. I mean, what do, do the kids even use libraries anymore? No, I, I mean, digress. I think we just use it for free Wi-Fi. That's why I don't clearly know what the overdue fee I is. I love, love libraries. That's my, that's my best ASMR place is libraries. I'm very happy and peaceful and tranquil yeah, in libraries. It's a great environment to be in. It, I'm mm-hmm. not checking out books, though, usually. <laughs> right, you learn. Uh... UK makes hooking up illegal due to COVID-19. This is crazy. So uh, the UK has a rule now about about uh, groups of people getting together, right? Like most countries do, because there is still a global pandemic going on. No person may participate in a gathering which t- takes place in a public or private place indoors and consists of two or more persons. This includes 
sex. Wow. Crikey. Oh, no, that's Australia. But Cri- crikey, that's Australia. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, how, how do you that? feel like that, about this as a doctor and a nurse practitioner? I mean, it's it's kind of a, an aggressive tactic, but it seems like it, and it's not like everyone's going to follow that, but it's better than doing nothing, I guess, yeah? I, I don't know. I mean, I think it, it, what enforcement is the issue, right? Like, how is this... Uh, how are you going to enforce this law? And oh, by the way, like it just seems, I don't know, sort of ridiculous, but there's, there's some nuances in it. Like people in Twitter go on to be like, uh, you know, so unless you live together, it's now unlawful to have sex with your lover indoors, but fine outdoors. <laughs> like there's all these loops and Twitter's kind of having fun with it. Um, all those Downton and, Abbey walking through the park scenes are going to be very different. Ve- very different now. And uh, Grinder is getting grind dead on Twitter as well because they marked the start of Pride Month by ditching their ethnicity filter. So they have this filter that you can um, filter people out on Grinder based on their race or ethnicity, but only if you pay the premium rates, Allie. So not the free grinder, but the premium grinder. Can you then filter people out? They've gotten a lot of flack for this wow, over the years. Wow, I had so no idea. They started offering their, their premium service to everyone in honor of Pride Month. And you can imagine how well that is going over on Twitter right well, now. Well, I'm sure they, they can't go back. There's no way that, that they, if they go back to that policy, then, the, you know, that's not going to be. They have to just make it available to everybody, right? Well, they, they've uh, they've actually removed it. We will continue to fight. They say, quote, we will continue to fight racism on Grindr, both through dialogue with our community and a zero tolerance policy for racism and hate speech on our platform. As a part of this commitment and based on your feedback, we have decided to remove the ethnicity filter from our next release. Altogether. Altogether. Okay, so good. it's totally gone. So uh, that's kind of a happy ending, too, which we are getting into next. This is Drop the Subject. Drop the Subject. The new Channel Q. Well, it's again time to say our goodbyes here on Drop the Subject. And um, it's been another uh, day of, of having some some difficult conversations, some uncomfortable conversations. And that is OK. Uh, I know from my perspective, I just I learned a lot today. Uh, I always learn a lot from you, James. And I and I'm so glad we got to have Dr. Robin D'Angelo on again, who we've talked to her last year. But, um, you know, I, I really am grateful. I'm just going to go and get into my happy ending right away. Because the people that we've been speaking to and the people that we're going to be continuing to speak to throughout the week, when it comes to this stuff, um, I really am really incredibly grateful that people like Robin and Errol and you, James, are willing to lend your time to have these conversations because I also acknowledge how frustrating and tiring it must be to to have waves of like people caring and then it going away and then people caring and being like I want to talk to you about this thing and then and then it dies down and and then there are still these problems and you have to go through this every single time and see these lives lost again and again and again and I, I hope that these conversations are are creating some kind of change I I again just want to reiterate I want to be holding myself accountable and and get more educated and learn um, and, and find better ways to to be active and to actually create sustained change, not just when these protests, you know, dissipate, what then? And I think Robert Avila, who wrote into our show earlier today, he said it very well when he said that. Um, I think it's important to talk about what comes after this and how to keep it going and keep that fire burning. So well, thank you, James. Well, and you're welcome. And, and thank you for uh, 
for the thank you and for being open and willing to have these conversations and to acknowledging your your place of privilege and your place of understanding and not understanding and all of those things I think are really important that uh, you know, there there are aspects of this that we all understand and get on a really deep, meaningful level because we're humans. And I think that's really important to know and acknowledge. And just like Dr. D'Angelo said, it's it's the individuals who understand that they're not always going to get it right, but but you keep trying and you keep learning, right? You yeah. don't keep trying the same thing over and over again, but you keep learning and growing and progressing. And that's all that anybody can really ask for in this is that we have to keep moving in the right direction. Um, those those moves need to just be bigger and badder, I think now, at least in terms of police killing black people, um, which which was my happy ending, actually, Allie, that, that it was about Dr. D'Angelo. That, oh, really? You know, yeah, my happy ending was essentially that you know, we don't, sometimes it's really hard to, to, uh, for white people to understand what, what they can do to help fix this problem. And I'm just so thankful that we have people like Dr. D'Angelo who are around, right. right. Um, and, and who are white, <laughs> but who can say, okay, I, I have, I have an idea about this. Let me help you. Um, and that I'm so incredibly thankful for that. And there are many people out there as well, but I'm, I'm thankful that we were able to talk to her today and, and have these conversations. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and to hear from her is so meaningful because of the, the weird feelings of, of feeling shut down and feeling defensive or feeling uncomfortable and then kind of retreating into that discomfort from the perspective of a white person is just, I, I, I'm very glad that we got to talk about that with her because, and the silence, the silence not being okay and, and, and to kind of acknowledge those feelings and also move past them. And, and um, so I thought that I, I learned a lot in, in today and I, I always you know, learn something here on Drop the Subject. But I, I appreciate you guys listening with us. We want you to continue listening. Um, all kinds of great programming here. Let's go there coming up a little later. And uh, Love Line, of course, Morning Beat, all of us, uh, um, our family here at Channel Q. And we're very happy to have your ears as well. And you can continue to interact with the show at DTS Show on Twitter and on Instagram. Download the podcast if you missed anything. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye. On the, ne- on the next, Drop the Subject. On the next show, we get into a very special edition of our regularly scheduled gay MA. We'll have a discussion about how racism continues to show up in LGBTQ spaces because whether we like it or not, it exists in our community. So let's do our part to fix the racism that exists in our own backyards and let's go there. That's a different show, Allie. Oh, uh, let's go to a subject and then not drop it, but pick it up and then put it, oh, forget it. Drop the subject. 12 to 2 Pacific, 3 to 5 Eastern on the new Channel Q.